I'm new as the president of the Canadian Club, but I've already discovered that one of the great benefits is the incredible range and depth of speakers that you get to, get to meet and also to introduce. But one of the greatest delights occurs when every once in a while you get on, not only to introduce a tremendous leader, but also a very good friend. And today is one of those days. They say a friend is someone you know everything about and still like. <laughs> well, I really like Tim Hudak. A committed husband, a devoted father, a hard-working and long-serving representative as constituents, and today a powerful and effective voice for change in Ontario. Tim has combined his academic training as an economist with 16 years of elected experience including assignments as Minister of Northern Development and Mines, Minister of Culture, Tourism and Recreation, and Minister of Consumer and Business Services to form the foundation of his plan to get Ontario's economy moving again for the benefit of all Ontario families. Tim has worked hard to create a platform which is both innovative and distinctive. His change book promises a new way forward for Ontario a way forward that ensures our best days are still ahead of us, a way forward that allows us to leave, leave for our children a proud, rich Ontario legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the National Forum podium a leader committed to change, committed to Ontario, Tim Hudak. Thank you, uh, friends, and uh, the very kind uh, introduction um, uh, and welcome, and, and to Jamie uh, Watt for the, uh, the warmth and thoughtfulness uh, of your words. Uh, I want to thank you, and to Jamie and to Verity both for your leadership at the Canadian Club and the Empire Club, uh, respectively. Thank you very much as well. It is a great pleasure to be here in a, uh, a busy hall to address members of both the Canadian Club and the Empire Club today. And you know, when I give a speech, I'm reminded of a story of a politician long ago who was also asked to give about a 20-minute speech. And he spoke for an hour. Nervous laughter in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and later he asked the writer why he didn't write him the 20-minute speech like he requested. And the writer said, but sir, I did write the 20-minute speech. And I also gave you the two extra copies that you asked for. <laughs> so you'll be relieved to know, just one copy of the speech here today. Now, some of you have, may have heard that uh, we're having a provincial election campaign right now. And I know a lot of people look forward to that, including some here today with the expectation like you're visiting the dentist's office. After all, it's the third election campaign that we've had in Ontario in less than a year's time. But as a candidate for Premier, I get the privilege of meeting families and tradespeople, seniors, students, right across Ontario. And that has made me more optimistic than ever 
about the future of this great province. I believe that Ontario is a province of limitless potential, that our best days still lie ahead of us. Ontario is home to the world's strongest banks. We have an abundance of natural resources from copper to chromite to forests. Over the last 50 years, we have built together a strong public education system and a universal health care system that, despite its many challenges, is a source of social cohesion and economic advantage. Canada is a trading nation, and Ontario has unparalleled access to both Canadian and American markets, and we have the most diverse labor force in the world. And more of our workers have university degrees than any other province, than any other state. Yet under Dalton McGuinty, we're not taking advantage of those opportunities. Ontario is just not living up to its potential. In fact, we're slipping further and further behind. And it's no coincidence that this has happened under Dalton McGuinty, who believes we will inevitably fall behind, and who pursues policies that, however well-intentioned, make that decline a reality. I want to talk to you today about two very different visions for the province of Ontario, on taxes, on government spending, and on job creation. And on each of these issues, Dalton McGinty and I have fundamentally different views. He pursues policies that are rooted in the belief that Ontario's best days are behind us, that the job of Premier is to simply manage that decline. It's clearer every day that we just cannot afford four more years of Dalton McGinty. I see tremendous opportunity. I see a future that is brighter than ever. And that's why we need change. The kind of change that actually believes in Ontario. And nowhere is that difference more clear than on taxes. Dalton McGinty is captured by the school of thought that takes for granted that taxes must inevitably increase, even if services don't improve. This view holds that every year he must increase the pay of public sector workers faster than the wages of the private sector workers that pay for them. And this view holds that it is unseemly to allow an entrepreneur or a worker to retain enough of her own money to invest, to build a business, to create jobs, without the direction and permission of the state. For eight years, Dalton McGinty has raised taxes on families and employers. After looking voters in the eye and swearing that he would not, he introduced a $3.1 billion health tax. This was the biggest income tax increase in the history of our province. He then increased taxes on employers by $1.2 billion. He hit consumers with an additional $3 billion for the HST, and then he tried to tuck in those sneaky eco-taxes at the same time costing families money, hoping that nobody would notice. And the list goes on. But can you get treated in your ER any faster? Do you feel any safer in your neighborhood? Is your commute any shorter? 
And friends, I have a very different view. I believe that as the economy grows, families should keep a greater share of their incomes that they've earned through their own hard work, not a steadily shrinking share. I believe that as Manulife and Magna increase their productivity year by year, the Ministry of Natural Resources can also offer taxpayers more value for their tax dollar. I believe that when a senior loses her home because she can't afford the condo fees, that it just might be because her taxes are too high, not because her subsidies are too low. So while Dalton McGinty drifts fatalistically towards his next tax hike, the new carbon tax his advisors and caucus members say is the logical completion of his legacy, I say no. We just cannot afford it. We will not raise taxes. In fact, we'll lower taxes, targeted particularly at middle-class families. We will put hundreds of dollars back into their pockets, not just because they desperately need it, but because it is the surest path to economic recovery and the bracing tonic of self-reliance. We will reduce personal income taxes by 5% on the first $75,000 of income and will save middle-class families as much as $1,400 a year through income sharing. And we will take the HST and the debt retirement charge off home hydro and heating bills so that families can actually stay warm throughout the winter without a penalty from the Ministry of Finance. Now, I don't know whether Dalton McGinty simply likes to raise taxes, but he is resigned to it. He accepts it. And he even embraces it as the natural consequence of the private sector in decline. Friends, we just cannot afford four more years of Dalton McGinty. We need change, and change that believes in Ontario. The second area where Dalton McGinty and I disagree, we have very different visions, is government spending. Dalton McGinty's school of thought holds that waste in government is inevitable. That when you are dealing with unimaginable sums in the hundreds of billions of dollars, you're bound to have a few billion dollars of waste here and there. It's a rounding error. They just shrug it off. Dalton McGinty wasted a billion tax dollars on e-health with nothing to show for it but stale chocobites and a mountain of paper. He then wasted another billion dollars in Oakville when he canceled the power plant, one himself he championed for years and years. And then last week, you probably read about this, just 11 days before the election, he wasted hundreds of million dollars more canceling yet another half-built power plant in Mississauga, one that he had supported for six straight years, even though it never should have been built in a residential neighborhood in the first place. Even his supporters are beginning to worry that after all these billions, they might start adding up to real money. So let me put this into perspective. Over $2 billion. 2,000 million wasted. Let me ask you this. Anyone here from Brampton? 
Oh, I gotta believe it's something for, I'm not gonna make funny, I'm just gonna point something out. <laughs> Brampton is a lovely city with four and a half good seats. <laughs> Who's here from Brampton? There we go. It's a lovely city. So let me say this, you and all the people in Brampton will have had to work for an entire year to pay as much tax as Dalton McGinty wasted on e-health and these two canceled power plants. So it's like you and your neighbors and your friends worked an entire year, handed over all your tax dollars, and Dalton McGinty simply threw it away. Dalton McGinty has increased government program spending by nearly 80 percent. You know how much the economy grew in that time? 10 percent. So it's no wonder that he doubled the debt, borrowing more money in eight years, by the way, than all of the other premiers combined before him, including Bob Ray. And that way starts at the top, with a bloated cabinet that employs 28 ministers, including a minister of revenue whose sole job is to make you love the HST. And even Bob Ray didn't have a minister of revenue. So I disagree with Dalton McGinty and the defeatists, who secure in their own good intentions, shrug their shoulders at government waste, and say it's just the cost of doing business. If I have the honor of serving as premier, so help me, the era of waste and fraud and secret deals will come to an end and fast. Instead of increasing the size of government, the PC party will lead by example. We'll reduce the size of cabinet by at least 20%. We will save two cents on every dollar we spend outside of health and education every year until the budget is balanced. We will require public sector unions to compete for government contracts on a level playing field with the private sector that will lower costs and improve service. We will fix the broken arbitration system that awards contracts based on the appetite of unions instead of the ability of families to pay. Dalton McGinty accepts billions of dollars of waste. He excuses or apologizes or evades, but he just sees this as an inconvenient distraction for what he declares is the greater good. We just can't afford four more years of Dalton McGinty. We need change, and change that believes in Ontario. Third, we have two very different versions when it comes to job creation. Dalton McGinty and his band of economic defeatists believe that Canada and Ontario and the industrialized West can no longer compete on a level playing field. They think the loss of jobs in industries like manufacturing and forestry is inevitable and they pat themselves on the back for their realism in accepting this decline. They believe the only way to create new jobs in Ontario is by taxing the remaining productive industries to subsidize $11 an hour jobs from multinational corporations whose commitment to Ontario lasts no longer than the next handout. These are not sustainable jobs. In their unguarded moments with political science postgrads at COW fundraisers, I'm sure they admit as such. <laughs> but when you believe that Ontario's best days are gone, 
It's the best you can do. But you know this. Study after study has demonstrated that this outdated, bureaucratic, industrial policy comes at too great a cost and simply does not work. It failed in Spain. It tanked in Texas. In Italy, the government found that for every job created through subsidies, it cost 4.8 good private sector jobs in the broader economy. And it's already failing here in the province of Ontario. The Ottawa Citizen demonstrated that Dalton McGuinty is greatly exaggerating the number of jobs in his so-called green energy companies across Ontario. Last week, we learned that laid-off workers in Scarborough were brought back to work at a solar panel plant just for a Dalton McGuinty photo op. And they went home. And no wonder. How can you build an economy by paying 10 times the going rate for power? And how can you possibly bungle the execution so badly that you actually have to pay millions of dollars to New York State and Quebec to take the power off our hands? Ontario has a shortage of skilled workers at the same time that we have unprecedented unemployment. Yet Dalton McGuinty maintains a bizarre restriction on the number of apprentices, requiring as much as five journeymen for every single apprentice. So who benefits from this absurd arrangement? Well, it's not the young people who desperately want to find a good job in their home province. And it's not the employers desperate to follow, find qualified people to get involved in the skilled trades. And it's certainly not our struggling economy. But the unions representing the trades in short supply, they're quite content. A labor shortage creates bargaining power, and the resulting wage increases are handsome indeed. And when Dalton McGuinty's election campaigns are bankrolled by these very same unions, well, you can guess where Dalton McGuinty stands. It's time to choose. I reject the view that this cynical and unproductive cycle of subsidies and payoffs is the inevitable end state of a Western economy in decline. With resources and skills our competitors can only dream of, with an entrepreneurial culture waiting to be unleashed, Ontario can compete and win fair and square, without subsidy to the uncompetitive and without penalties to the productive. Instead of hiking taxes and expanding government to buy phantom jobs, a PC government will lower taxes on employers and give tax relief to families to attract investment, to stimulate the economy, to create jobs again. We'll treat energy policy as economic policy, and make rates reliable and affordable for employers and families. We will create more than 200,000 more skilled trade jobs by reforming our apprenticeship system. And we will get behind small businesses as the engine of job creation by reducing the regulatory burden by at least 30% and freeing that entrepreneurial can-do attitude that built this great province. You see, Dalton McGuinty thinks that Ontario jobs can never survive without taxpayer subsidies. And that is nothing more than a declaration of failure. We just cannot afford four more years of Dalton McGuinty killing good jobs. We need change and change that believes in Ontario. But to achieve any of this, we need a new vision. 
when Dalton McGinty tells our workers and entrepreneurs that they have set their sights too high, when he belittles their industry and diverts the product of their labor to fund subsidies for those who have not earned them, when he dismisses their concern about overspending as naive and accepts the waste of taxes as inevitable, Dalton McGinty has given up on Ontario. Never, never will I ever, ever agree that Ontario's best days are behind us. I see a province of limitless potential. If only we had the courage to embrace it. Dalton McGinty has proven that he cannot, that he will not seize this opportunity. He has governed for eight years without a jobs plan and accepted the loss of almost a quarter of a million manufacturing jobs. And now, a week before an election, he makes a panicked announcement that the economy is in trouble and says he finally wants to get serious about jobs. Yet he distrusts job creators and he taxes them beyond tolerance to pay for his energy experiments and his economic schemes. He takes credit for projections as if they were achievements and then blames others when they don't come true. He believes we have too little government and borrows more to build more. And he sees you and your families as sources of funds and he increases the tax burden every four years after election day. Dalton McGinty and his politics and his policies are rooted in the assumption and acceptance of decline. We just cannot afford four more years of Dalton McGinty. I believe in something different. I believe that Ontario's besties are ahead and with the support rather than the hindrance of government, it is the people themselves who will make this true. I think my daughter can and will grow up in a province that offers her more opportunity than her parents or her grandparents. And to achieve this, we must embrace the values that have always made Ontario great. A fair and equal chance for everybody without the government picking favorites for special, fa special subsidies or special handouts the freedom to pursue your own dreams, the opportunity to join the middle class, to own a home, to achieve financial security, the confidence that anyone willing to work hard can get and keep a well-paying job. Friends, I believe that Ontario will lead Canada and we will lead the world again. but it will take hard work, and I need your help. But of one thing I have no doubt, the spirit and potential of Ontario is stronger than ever. And October 6, we will make change, change that believes in Ontario. Thank you very much. Thanks for your attention here today. much for those uh, those remarks ladies and gentlemen Tim has offered to take uh, your questions so if you uh, have a question just uh, stick up your hand and uh, we'll bring a microphone to you so that everybody can hear 
and I'd ask you just to identify yourself and ask your, ask your question. Who's got the, the first question? Oh, I don't believe everyone's that shy. All oh, right, over here. Hi there, my name's Master Jeffrey. I'm with the Ontario Association of Private Career Colleges. Um, private, co private colleges in Ontario have been heavily regulated uh, since, uh, I guess, uh, the present government. And uh, we've also been restricted on the number of international students uh, we're allowed to train as opposed to our counterparts. We're wondering if this is something your government would look at? Yes. <laughs> Just tell yeah, me no, how. No, there you go. I'll go, I'll go. Yeah, you're not expecting a, a short answer from the politician. I will warn folks, though, too. I, I mean, I have spent some time in question periods. So if you ask a question I don't like, I'll answer an entirely different question altogether. Um, back, to the, uh, back to the question. Yeah, the answer is yes. I, I mean, I, I just, I mean, you can see this in my remarks. I just actually believe that students and parents can make the right choices. When you're making an investment in your education, you're going to do a lot of research. You're going to take your time. Is it a diploma, a degree, a certificate worth pursuing? Is it going to get me a good job? I have faith in people making up their own minds and the best decisions in their best interest, not some bureaucrat at Queen's Park. So the answer is yes, absolutely yes. And let me add something to this too. I refer to it in my remarks on skilled traits. You know, we have this paradox in Ontario today where we have high unemployment. We've been above the national average in Ontario for 56 consecutive months and a shortage of skilled traits. And I was down in Cornwall the other day, met a young guy named Ryan. And Ryan is 18, desperately wants to be an electrician, motivated to do that. He's got great skills. But he can't get a position. He even has an employer who wants to hire him. So he's working out at Walmart. He's got a part-time job. He's paying the bills. But it's not what he wants to do. And Dalton McGinty is stuck in this 1970s style apprenticeship system. He's indentured himself with special interests in the union bosses. He's basically telling Ryan, too bad. You want a job, go to Alberta, Saskatchewan. I'm going to stand up to those special interests. I'll stand up to the union bosses. And we'll use our college's system to train 200,000 more skilled tradespeople. Because you want to be an electrician, plumber, welder, you want to open up your small, own small business someday, I want that talent here in the province of Ontario, not heading out west. Thanks. Next question. Right here. I've got, uh, I've got three boys in university, so you can imagine the cost. And my question is, are we going to stop giving free education to non-taxpayers in Ontario? Let me, let me see if I know what you're getting at. Um, the, uh, well, it, this has been an issue. I brought it up in the debate on, uh, uh, on Tuesday night as well. It's tough uh, when you're a student today. I mean, you're facing significant amounts of debt. And whether you get out of college or university or your trade, it's pretty tough to get a job. And I've been there. I remember that. When I graduated from University of Western Ontario, it was my economics degree. I was stacking beer at the duty-free shop in Fort Erie. Again, I paying the bills, but it wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So students today are coming onto an extremely tough job market with big bills. And I brought this up in the debate. I said, but Mr. McGinty, you chose to spend $30 million on a foreign scholarship program that basically says that if your sons, did you say three sons? Three sons. So if your sons applied for the scholarship program, they'd be disqualified simply because their driver's license says they reside in the province of Ontario. That's wrong. We need to start putting our best and brightest in Ontario first. And you know this as well as I. Dep degree, a diploma, I mean, that's the ticket to the middle class, a good job. 
So I said in that debate, and I'll say here today, at the Empire and Canadian Clubs, I will cancel that $30 million giveaway, and I'll put it into OSAP assistance for middle-class families in the province of Ontario so their sons and daughters can get ahead. Next uh, question here in the corner. Thanks very much, and thanks for your excellent speech, Tim. Thank you. Uh, Bill Johnston with the Toronto Real Estate Board. I uh, wonder if you've given any thought to getting rid of the land transfer tax here in the province of Ontario, which is simply a uh, cash grab by the government at a very vulnerable time for buyers of real estate. Okay. No, Bill, thanks for the question. I mean, the direct answer to your question is yes. I did consider that. Um, the problem is that's one of many cash grabs that have been brought out by the, uh, by the McGinty government. So Bill, be very direct. I decided not to pursue that. I appreciate the cause. I appreciate the case that the Real Estate Board made. I don't disagree. But I set priorities. And so what I chose to do, as I outlined in my speech, was the following. A broad-based income tax reduction targeted particularly at middle-class families. So a 5% reduction on rates for your first 75000 of income. That means whether it's housing, whether it's like hockey equipment for the kids, whether it's saving up for college or university, I'll let families decide. So I went the broad-based route instead. And secondly, there's a lot of families today who are just saying, I can't pay for the basics. I referenced in my speech that senior citizen who can't pay her condo fees. And it's not because the subsidies are too low, it's because taxes are too high. And that's why in Changebook, we'll take the HST off home heating, we'll take it off home hydro, and we'll take the debt retirement charge off your hydro bill as well. You combine that with income sharing, that's about $1,000 in tax relief for a typical middle class family in Brampton in Ajax, in Toronto, or Fort Erie. And I fundamentally believe that if families have the ability to spend their own money, it's not only the bracing tonic of self-reliance, it'll stimulate job creation in the province of Ontario again. Was that the question period answer? I said no. <laughs> I said I thought about it, and I said no. <laughs> All right, one last time for one last question. Um, Hi. Down over here in the, in the corner, please. My name's Philip Kayat, and I'm a Torontonian for about 30 years. And I have a question uh, regarding energy policy. You talked about uh, several projects of the current government that were suddenly cancelled, and I think we can all sympathize with uh, what a poor decision that, that was. And you also talked about subsidizing uh, things like solar cells and uh, windmills, which probably aren't the best way of generating power in this province. I remember coming here and admiring the Ontario uh, hydro generation system. My question is, though, what uh, will you and your party do to guarantee energy and uh, electricity security in the future for the province of Ontario? Philip, thanks for the question. I'll, I'll, it's a long answer. It's a complex subject. I'll try to be brief, and then uh, we can talk about it later. And also on a changebook or changebook.ca, you can see the full energy story. But there's a huge difference in our approach versus the McGinty government approach, which is basically a social program, an outdated uh, industrial policy where you charge 10 times the rate of hydro to create jobs that disappear as soon as the grants run out and it's cost us jobs in the broader economy. Our approach will make it about economic policy, reliability and affordability. So what does that mean? The workhorses in our system, nuclear power and hydroelectricity, they're clean, green, they're emissions free, and they also give you affordable base power so seniors and families can actually pay their hydro bills and businesses will have the confidence to hire again. That does also mean that I'm gonna end this feed-in tariff program. I just do not believe in paying up to 80 cents per kilowatt hour when the price of power is five or six cents. And then these crazy contracts that we sign that we have to take the power when we don't need it, and then pay New York State and Quebec to take our power? That's wrong. 
is misguided and is dangerous. I'll also restore the Ontario Energy Board to its core mandate, the consumer protection, to make sure that they're there to ensure that rates aren't just handed out or the sort of political activism of today where they've turned into basically another tax collector in our system. We'll go back to its core mandate. And unlike Dalton McGuinty, whenever you add hydro to our system, it should be done on the basis of a competitive, transparent process. So you get the most modern technology at the best rate to the families and businesses who pay the bills. Energy policy is not about industrial policy. It's an economic fundamental. And if you get that wrong, it messes up the economy as a whole. We'll take an entirely different path. Hope that answers your question. Thank you. Tim, thank you very much for your remarks and uh, for the question. Thank you. And now we welcome uh, a very special guest to give thanks on behalf of uh, both the Empire Club and the Canadian Club, Jim Flaherty. Well, good afternoon and thank you for um, coming. It's my pleasure today to thank my friend and former colleague, Ontario PC leader Tim Tim Udak, as usual, um, my staff has prepared some notes for me, and it won't surprise you that I received some guidance at home this morning over breakfast on what I might, what I might say. I, in the great riding of Whitby, Oshawa, where we have a fine candidate for the Ontario <laughs> PC party, I, um, I don't know how things work at your house, but I find it generally better to just obey, to follow instructions that I... Election Day is almost upon us in, in Ontario. It is a, a, a very important election for this province. The, the election is about change in Ontario. It's about delivering re relief for Ontario families. We know Ontario just can't afford four more years of the same Dalton-McGuinty Liberal government. Over the past eight years, uh, Dalton-McGuinty raised taxes on families and productive businesses. The facts are, um, are plain, and, and with respect to deficits and debt, quite frankly, uh, they are startling. The Ontario government ratcheted up government spending eight times the growth of Ontario's GDP, and in doing so has doubled the provincial debt. In the last year before Mr. McGuinty's Liberal government, which I remember well because I was in the government of Ontario here as finance minister, we had a surplus of $117 million. This year, Ontario has a deficit of $16 billion. In 2002-03, Ontario had a net debt of $132.6 billion. This year, Ontario has a net debt of $241.2 billion, almost double in eight years. And expenditures in 2002-03 stood at $74.6 billion, Today they are $124.1 billion. My friends, this is not the way to attract new investment to Ontario. It's not the way to create good, well-paying private sector jobs in Ontario. And there is danger in these facts. I spend a lot of time at G20 meetings and other G7 meetings and so on around, around the world, including last weekend in Washington. As you know, we have a, a challenging situation in Europe and, um, and weakness in the U.S. Uh, economy and deficits and debt. Our country, our country Canada, is on the right track back to uh, balanced budgets. It's important that our largest province, the province of Ontario, 
get back on that right track. About four months ago, we had a federal election, as you know. Ontario families sent Stephen Harper and the Conservative Party of Canada to Ottawa with a majority government. We earned uh, your trust and support because Canada is headed on the right track. We're showing that creating jobs through training, trade, and low taxes works. Supporting families and giving them relief works. Eliminating the deficit by controlling spending and cutting waste works. Tim and I were, um, were elected together about 16 years ago to the Ontario Legislative Assembly. In my view, there's only one choice in this election, one man, one party capable of delivering on these principles at Queen's Park, and that's Tim Udak on the Ontario PC Party. I've known Tim for a long time. I've worked in caucus with him. I've sat across the cabinet table from him. I've been over to his house for barbecues. I know him as a colleague. I know him as a loving husband and father. And I know as Premier, he will bring the same energy, the same dedication to the job that Ontario needs to go down a new path. A path to new investment and job creation, a path where families have more money in their pockets, a path that ensures our children once again have every opportunity to succeed and more. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for inviting me to participate. Well, thank you, uh, Jim. Jim Flaherty is the hardest working guy in government today, and thank you for taking time to be with, uh, with us uh, today at lunch. Also, once again, thanks to GlaxoSmithKline for making this, uh, this lunch possible. Just before we adjourn and you enjoy your lunch, I'd like to list a couple of upcoming events. On October the 12th, veteran broadcast journalist Don Newman, member of the Canadian Club Board, will moderate a panel discussion on the challenges and opportunities of innovation with Roger Martin, Dean of the Rotman School of Management, Doug Muzika of DuPont, and Ilsa Turnick of the Mars Discovery District. Then on the 24th of October, Paul Lucas, President and CEO, also of GlaxoSmithKline, will join us as he challenges Corporate Canada to increase support for hospice palliative care by providing compassionate benefit care Care, compassionate care benefits for employees. And uh, on October 31st, Tony Clement, the President of the Treasury Board of Canada, will join us to outline Canada's Deficit Reduction Action Plan, something I'm sure Jim Flaherty will want a front row seat for. To order tickets for these or any other Canadian Club events, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. For the Empire Club of Canada, on October 11th, the Empire Club will welcome Ezra Levant, TV news anchor, best-selling author, and provocateur. He'll speak about ethical oil. And uh, on the 14th of October, His Worship Mayor Ford will speak to the Empire Club. For tickets or information for those events, please visit the Empire Club website at empireclub.org. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers Television in the days to come. Both clubs are grateful to Rogers TV and to 680 News for the continuing promotion they give of our events. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd ask you to stand as you're able and join me in a toast to Canada. <laughs> to Canada.
I hope you enjoy your lunch. <laughs>